Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. Today's sutta is the Jambali Sutta. I love the name, and it's uh, subtitled The Wastewater Pool. Um, this sutta is as much about the attitude we engage, that we use to engage, or we approach the Dhamma with. Um, and it's the word that we often use is raptured, but not meaning that it's the second coming of Christ. We mean joyful engagement with. And of course, in this case, it's joyful engagement with the Dhamma, because fairly quickly in our practice, we, uh, if we understand where we're going, which is uh, using the terminology in this uh, the sutta, uh, full uh, peaceful awareness release, meaning we understand that we have, through our own efforts, released ourselves from all wrong views. And so once we do that, we achieve a common peaceful mind that is unwavering and not because of some kind of rigid stance that we're taking against a harsh world, that peaceful awareness release is established in understanding the nature of dukkha. And as, as a consequence of having a human life, there will be dukkha for each and every one of us. Of course, it's different for everyone. Uh, sometimes we, it looks like life isn't fair, but life isn't fair. It's just, it's not designed to be fair. It's just that way. Uh, and from, you know, we get one breath in the beginning and one breath in the end. And all the breaths in the middle are up to us and how we're going to experience our life. And we can do that as awake and fully mature human beings through understanding, or we can spend our whole lives in distraction and never really understanding what it means to be a human being, which is what the Buddha was interested in finding out. He discovered what it meant to be a human being, and he discovered um, what I would say is a foolproof way for other people to do exactly what he did, just by following his instructions. So, the wastewater pool of Jambali Sutta. The Buddha addressed those gathered. Friends, there are four types of Dharma practitioners. There is a type, and, and only four. And it's interesting how the Buddha characterized um, the whole gambit of how people take to to so-called spiritual practice, although there's nothing spiritual about this practice. Um, and that those that understand where we're going and are enraptured with their Dhamma practice will achieve the result. There is a type of Dhamma practitioner that enters and remains in mental absorption, the, the jhanas. And we've talked about the four levels of jhana and experiences a certain peaceful awareness release. They are mindful of the cessation of self-identification. But even as they are mindful of the cessation of self-identification, 
their mind is not enraptured with release. That mind is still clinging to the distractions of, um, of the world rooted in self-identifying with these things. Their, their mind is not enraptured with release, with cessation. <clears throat> they do not go grow confident or steadfast or well-established in the cessation of self-identification. So we talk about this at every class, how important it is to recognize that our own practice is actually bearing fruit and how to do that. And of course we do that with an ever increasing level of concentration, the jhanas. And so it becomes, um, uh, it becomes a self-rewarding practice, doesn't it? Because we can see the results of our own efforts. It's not just some bold guy in Frenchtown saying, go do this, go do this, go do this, and you grudgingly do it just because you wanted to. That was really most of my uh, so-called Buddhist practice for many years, but it was, I was doing it uh, almost like taking on a burden because I didn't understand where it was going, and there was nothing taught about where it was going. It was just do this and and a, you know, a million lifetimes from now, you'll somehow awaken, uh, which always seemed like dismissing the importance of this life. And from the time I was a little kid, I just wanted to know what the hell is going on in, in my life, in this human life. This is the one that I'm living. And that's what the Buddha realized. The, the, the um, inclination to seek salvation outside of this life because it's too harsh you know that jesus died for on a on the cross i remember that symbolism of a man bloody on a cross who suffered and died for my sins is something that really twisted me up as a kid i mean i didn't want somebody to have to go through that because of me and it took a long time to get rid of that um some people call it christian guilt that there was something wrong with me. You know, I was taught that uh, what's it, that there was something in me called original sin. Before I even got going, I was screwed. <laughs> and, and, you know, what kind of life is that? And so I rejected that early on. But I still wanted to know, you know what's the purpose? Why am I here? <laughs> and it turns out that the reason why I'm here is to just be present for what's occurring in this moment. And then this moment, and each and every moment that follows, is fulfilling in whatever's occurring. Why? Because I'm simply present for it. And again, that's what the Buddha is talking about. That's why it's it's important to at uh, some point in our practice to generate that feeling of joyful engagement. Yeah, I, I'm. I really enjoy what I'm doing, and I'm eager to keep moving forward. Okay. the Buddha's words. For them, the final cessation of self-identification cannot be expect, expected without that joyful engagement with our practice. Then the Buddha offers these, I love the metaphors in the sutta. Just as if one were to grasp a branch with hands sticky with rosin, they would cling to the branch. We, we cling to our old wrong views just because there are views. In the same manner, one who remains in mental absorption and experiences a certain peaceful awareness release. They're, they're engaging in jhana properly, but they're lacking that one quality of attitude. 
but continues to cling to wrong views is not enraptured with release, with cessation. They do not grow confident or steadfast or well-established in the cessation of self-identification. For them, the final cessation of self-identification cannot be expected. Excuse me. The Buddha continues. Then there is a type of Dhamma practitioner that enters and remains in mental absorption and experiences a certain peaceful awareness release. We recognize that our practice is bearing fruit. They are mindful of the cessation of self-identification because we recognize it in ourselves. As they are mindful of the cessation of self-identification, their mind is enraptured with release, with cessation. We enjoy it. And again, there's quite a difference between joyful engagement in our Dhamma practice and just a, a, um, a kind of a, maybe a low level uh, miserableness um, you know, begrudging that we that we even have to do this practice. You know, twice a day meditation and come to these classes on rainy Saturdays when I want to stay in bed instead of looking forward to being here like all of you have this morning. They do grow confident and steadfast and well-established in the cessation of self-identification. And maybe that's what we could talk about. After, play, after the sutta. For them, the final cessation of self-identification can be expected. And what's the difference in the first two? It's just that attitude, isn't it? It's just the joyful engagement with the Dhamma because we know where we're going. We're learning what it means to be a human being. And what could be more important or fulfilling than to know what we're doing here? Another metaphor. Just as if one were to grasp a branch with clean hands, right, with clean hands, free of wrong views, they would not cling to the branch in the same manner one who engages fully to the Eightfold Path, right, in the entire path, not just meditation or not just um, scriptural study, which is how some practices are, or just visualization, but engaging fully with the entire Eightfold Path, they remain in mental absorption and experiences a certain peaceful awareness release. They continue to diminish wrong views and their mind is enraptured with release by recognizing our progress with cessation. They do go confident and steadfast and well-established in the cessation of self-identification. For them, the final cessation of self-identification can be expected. Then there is a type of Dharma practitioner that enters and remains in mental absorption, the jhanas, and experiences a certain peaceful awareness release. They are mindful of breaching of ignorance of four noble truths, but even then their minds are not enraptured with release, with cessation. They do not grow, grow confident or steadfast or well-established in the cessation of self-identification. Because even though they're, they're, um, their jhana practice, their concentration is increasing, they still don't have the right attitude about dhamma practice. 
it feels like we're giving up something of value to let go of any views rooted in self-identification. And for them, the final cessation of self-identification cannot be expected. Again, another wonderful metaphor. Just as if they were, just as if they were stand, they were a long-standing wastewater pool, and during the dry season, a man blocks all the inlets and opens all the outlets. With inlets blocked and no rain falling, the breaching of the wastewater pool would not be expected. It would not overflow with wisdom. In the same manner, a dominant practitioner enters and remains in mental absorption and experiences a certain peaceful awareness release. They are attending to the breaching of ignorance, but they established in the breaching of ignorance of four noble and for them of four noble truth. And for them, the breaching of ignorance cannot be expected. So what does that practice look like? It falls right back into that confidence that I'm, I'm experiencing the um, I'm experiencing the, the the fruits of my own right effort. The Buddha often talks about being coming becoming rightly self-awakened, as he did, meaning we're doing exactly what Siddhartha Gautama did to reach his understanding his awakening, his gaining of full human maturity, becoming rightly self-awakened. We do it. It's not just enough to engage in the practice, come to class, listen to the suttas, but you must be joyfully engaged in all along the way. Then there is a type of Dhamma practitioner that enters or remains in mental absorption and experiences a certain peaceful awareness release. They are mindful of breaching ignorance of four noble truths. Their minds are enraptured with release from ignorance. They do grow confident and steadfast and well-established in the breaching of ignorance. For them, the final cessation of self-identification can be expected. Just as if there were a long-standing wastewater pool during the rainy season and a man opens all the inlets and blocks all the outlets. Right. This is what we talk about. The eightfold path is a limiting path. It allows us to form a structure of where we won't go. And in that way, we're filling up our own wastewater pool, our own pool, but with good, clean water rooted in wisdom of the Dhamma. And we overflow with that. Did everybody get the metaphor? It's really beautiful when you think about it. And well, because now we're, we're turning what was once a wastewater pool to something that is that is beautiful and pure. And I, again, the thing that's is astonishing to me is these were metaphors that Buddha used 2,600 years ago, and they're, start, they're, they're still perfect for today, aren't they? The four noble truths are just as noble. They, have, they withstand time. That's why we call them noble. And for 2,600 years, those four truths have been noble truths for humanity. There was it here. The breaching of the wastewater pool can be expected. In the same manner, a Dhamma practitioner enters or remains in mental absorption, <coughs> excuse me, 
and experiences a certain peaceful awareness release. They are mindful of breaching the ignorance of four noble truths. Their minds are enraptured with release from ignorance. They do grow confident and steadfast and well-established in the breaching of ignorance. For them, the final cessation of self-identification can be expected. These are the four types of Dhamma practitioners in the world. And the Buddha ends it there, you know, for us to understand. And anywhere along the way, no matter where we are with our practice, if we're if we're engaged in it in a in a kind of a, a, a grudging way, like it's a burden to overcome, we can recognize it and and within us we can generate that understanding that we're becoming rightly self-awakened because we are aware of what the Dhamma is doing for us and we're seeing it um, bear fruit in our own lives. Again, we become rightly self-awakened. And so that attitude is just as important as anything else that we might generate within the limiting factors of the Eightfold Path. And the other thing I would say about that, if, if you're not quite um, enraptured right now with the Dhamma, if you do continue and you do continue to pay attention to what's developing within you, you will. And again, maybe that's something we can discuss as we go around the room and, and uh, kind of where you are in your enrapturedness. How's that for a new word? Mm -hmm. Again, thank you. And it, it, I can't say, is, is that Raquel? Yeah. It's good to see you, Raquel. I'm thank sorry I didn't, I didn't say hello at first. My my vision doesn't go much past Mary. Right now, so. uh, okay, so let's go online first, and I'd like to hear what you have to say. And and uh, uh, Tracy, may I call on you first? I guess I can't sure. say I did. <laughs> Thanks so much or for this works. teaching. It's very um it's very useful and timely because I feel like it's only been in the last like two weeks or so that I've been trying to implement what I'm learning in jhana meditation into my life more and to lay out like the four types it it was helpful to see like or to think about maybe where I'm at right mm -hmm. now and see that like see where it where this is going as you mentioned in the in the in the teaching and i likened it to like learning anything um learning an instrument or learning anything that's really hard and takes a long time i feel as though if you give that thing all of your focus and attention and and you practice in the right way you get to a point with that thing where it is just now who you are and you are quote unquote, like an expert or seen as an expert and it becomes more easeful. And so this was super helpful for me to just be mindful of where I'm at and what, where I'm going. Yeah, so yeah. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Trey. And that really is kind of just the point of the sutta, so that that in self-reflection, we will recognize where we are. And am I joyfully engaged in this, or am I doing it because 
I think they, I think I'm, there's something wrong with me and that, that I have to fix and I'll find it here because that is the, the wrong attitude. It's that, you know, this is something that is really going to reveal my entire life to me. And that's a good reason to be joyfully engaged in it, I think. So thank you, Tracy. Uh, Dama teacher, Brian, how are you? Good, John. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, it's just this one reinforced for me the necessity of right view and right intention. Yeah. And if you don't understand the origination of stress and you don't have the intention to understand the origination of stress, you won't experience the cessation of stress. Yes. And while you might have some pleasant experiences along the way, you're not going to get to that final culmination and release. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Brian. Again, well said. Dhamma teacher, Kevin. Hey, John, thank you for the teaching. Um, I don't think I can say it better than Brian just said it, but thanks for this one today. <laughs> yeah, Brian often leaves us speechless. Hello, puppy. <laughs> How's your attitude about the Dhamma? <laughs> oh, you better be Bodie later. She smells Bodhi because Bodhi was at our house last week. Oh, yeah. Do you remember that smell? Do you remember Bodhi's special smell? Look at that face. Okay, I'm going to go back to teaching. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think, Zach? Good morning. Again, very thank you for the teaching. Very timely. Um, imagine it's always a timely teaching to yeah. reflect on where we are. It's amazing how they, it always fits, doesn't it? Um, you know, I started off X months ago really intellectualizing the Dhamma, and it was helpful in my understanding at the time. And I think I've this teaching kind of shines a light on the fact that I, I may be pursuing at this point primarily a one-fold path <laughs> in meditation. Yeah. <clears throat> And it's something that I've really, I was talking to David about the aggregates. I was like, gosh, you know, I, I really need to deepen my understanding again and go back to the texts and really integrate study into my practice. Yeah. I certainly enjoy sitting. It, it helps me develop a sense of concentration and calm, but the focus of the concentration and calm is getting a little blurry because I'm not okay. appropriately, um, I'm not putting in, I would say the right effort, um, on a certain dimension of my practice. And I'm not going to take myself behind the woodshed and beat myself up as you tell me to John. Good, good, good. Um, but, uh, yeah, just, a again, very timely reflection. Yeah. Yes. And, and don't forget that all of that, uh, awareness is because of your own right effort. You kept coming, you know, and you deepen your concentration to the point where now you can recognize, okay, time to see where this is actually bearing fruit in my life. And you're, you'll very quickly now go from that um, one-fold practice to now an eight-fold practice. Yeah. And it's just that way. And I guess maybe if I'm going to be a little 
fairer to myself. I am practicing an eightfold path, but the the seven factors of the path that I'm practicing are more at an elementary level where the meditation has taken a step higher and now it's it's time to up the rest of the path. Because I, I do practice right speech and I do have right view and right intention, but it's about bringing it all to the next the next level. And again, it's just that way. It's just practice. You know, how's your attitude? Julia? <laughs> Zach, what's your intention? That's a good what question. Do you understand right intention to be? That's putting a lot of thought. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what we talked about. Like, right intention is your intention is to understand four noble truths. Yeah. So, that right there is that limiting factor. Yeah. It puts it into purpose, it puts it into context. Right. Yeah. And then all the others are, it makes sense, Eightfold Path. Why wouldn't it be anything more than an Eightfold Path? It's, yeah. it's, it points toward right view then. Yeah. So the intention to understand that this is, meditation is there to have concentration, so you can be mindful of the Four Noble Truths. Yeah. Which is the, contains the Eightfold Path. Yeah. You can't get away from it. <laughs> yes, and, and there's no dross in that. You know, it, it's it's pure. It's it, it's it's complete. There, it's it's not. You know, it's it's just right. You know, mm. it, the all eight factors add up to awakening, which is again the most ordinary thing in human life, isn't it? To know that you're a human being. It draws but it's back. extraordinary to get there. It draws you back to what right effort is. Yeah. It doesn't let it, you get off the hook that um, this is good effort. And this is, a, an, I'm really trying. It's right effort. Mm -hmm. The effort is toward what this practice is for. Yeah. yeah. So well said, David, and, and, and well said, Zach. Yeah. What is my intention here? I mean, my intention in this moment is to be a fully alive, fully present human being. And I found a way to do that you know, through this limiting practice of the Eightfold Path. And, you're, and you are approaching that by just recognizing that, yeah, it takes a little bit more than just meditation. You know, many people like to think, if I just go sit for a little bit, everything's going to be okay. You'll, you'll have some great... Uh, white light experience and it's not that way we don't meditate for experience we meditate to deepen our concentration so that we can integrate the eightfold path in my mind as a right view that's present right here right now right this is not me this is not mine this is not what i am i'm just a reference point to what's occurring and mine remains calm and at peace Thank you, Zach. Thanks, John. Good morning, Becky. Good morning, John. Um, <clears throat> well, this was perfect for me right now. And sitting here listening to everybody, I, I had some sort of revelations about my recent right effort, which has been lacking. 
Um, and it doesn't matter why it was lacking. It's yeah. just been lacking. And I've known that, but I don't think I've accepted it as I do at this moment. And meaning that you accept it and you're not judging it. I'm accepting it and yeah. I'm not judging it. Yeah. Um, what, what I realized though, in, in coming to this point of accepting it is <clears throat> that working to regain my right effort and working to sort of move back to where I think I was before I lost it. I have used the Dhamma. <laughs> and I never really realized that I have used the Dhamma to try to do that. I haven't, I feel right now like I'm at the, I'm, I'm number three, like my inlets are blocked. <laughs> <laughs> but just, just sitting here and just really realizing what I've realized is so helpful. And, you know, that the bottom line is just understanding what your mind is doing yeah understanding what your mind is doing at any point in time when you're trying to do something and you feel like this is where this is what's happening if you just i don't know if you just keep trying eventually you'll understand that this you're in your own way. You're in your own way. Yeah. And you just have to get out of your own way. So thank you, John. And I just want to say a late happy birthday. <laughs> and to say, I know this is clinging and craving, but I hope you have at least 150 more. Thank you, but I don't want so 150 much. more. <laughs> <laughs> I get that too. <laughs> I'm, I'm very you, happy with just having my 18th, 40th birthday. So. <laughs> Thanks, Thank you, John. Mark, and I just wanted the just as you were saying that the Tibetan word for meditation has nothing Tibetan has nothing to do with what we're doing, but the Tibetan word for meditation is gom, G-O-M, and what that means is to become familiar with. And in this case, we're becoming familiar with our own mind. It's nothing. It's not something foreign anymore. So. Thank you, Becky. Thank you, John. Mark. Good morning, and welcome to our song. It's so good to see you here. Well, thank you. Uh, it, it's it's not Thank you. Um, yes. Um, I think uh, I see this. I don't feel. I feel like I'm coming to do a class three quarters of the way through it, and I don't know that I can add anything intelligent to it. So I might follow that last thing that a noble science. I want to stick with that one. I think that's probably my best course of action at this point. Um, unless anybody wants to know while I'm here, I'll tell you about a little story. Please. 
was given a gift of chronic pain that went on for years. And I started meditating to get rid of the mental machinations that were related to it. And in that, it's been enormously successful. Uh, and I wanted to learn more, so I came here. Mm -hmm. Well, good. This is a good place to learn more. You You're going to find, <coughs> as you listen more and more to the to the guided meditations and use them for your practice, that the the focus of your meditation itself will be towards deepening concentration rather than just release. And and now you'll you'll take a deeper understanding of. Every human life is painful. There is dukkha. That's why the Buddha said that. And he said it loud. You know, there is dukkha. There is dukkha. Wake up and stop running from it. And stop creating identities over the things that are suffering for us. And realize it's just part of the, you know, the deal. As a consequence of having a human life, there's going to be dukkha. There's going to be, you know, stress and suffering and disappointment. And again, life isn't fair. Some people's suffering is much greater than, than mine, for instance. And mine might be a little bit more than yours. But none of that is to make an identity over it. It's just this human life. And so now you're going to learn to be just present for each and every moment of your life. And that changes everything. Life. So I'm glad you're here. And notice I hardly ever take noble silence. So. <laughs> Raquel, how are you? It's good to see you this morning. Thank you so much for the teaching. Um, for me, it's like it's hard for me to talk uh, intelligently like everybody else that has been here longer. Who always do. I think I want to thank you again for the clarity of the, the, the teachings. And uh, for me, it's a matter of uh, focus now. It's very difficult for me to focus, and I'm learning again. With the, with the practice. And um, I think it's about discipline as yeah. well. Yeah. Because uh, if you don't have the right effort in, in terms of discipline and doing it and doing the right way, right? Yeah. So I'm learning that. And that, but I, again, like I mentioned, it's time. I'm seeing a very good uh, improvement. Yeah. <laughs> I noticed myself. And um, I hope everybody else in my family are benefiting from that as well. <laughs> <laughs> or oh, they will be. Yeah. Yeah, they will be. Thank you. Yeah. And, and, and again, thank you. You know that you're describing developing John practice as intended, and you certainly show uh, a joyful engagement with it. You know, you, you already see the benefits of it, and it's so important to recognize that. You know, that you're changing. And if I may say the last thing, I don't know if it's appropriate, but I brought some freshly baked uh, cheese bread. Oh, <laughs> that's always appropriate. I hardly ever talk about it, but really good food is kind of the ninth noble truth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's gluten free. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, Maura, Maura's been, uh, she's been around this since the very beginning, uh, and it's, it's always nice when you can join us. What do you got to say for yourself? 
I started to make uh, peanut butter miso cookies this morning, but I got derailed. Um, so I was going for you. So thank you. I saw you coming in the car. Maybe maybe another time. Um, I I think um, I resonated with the the joyful engagement. Um, really good on um, like construction ideas. <laughs> I was trying to like wastewater, okay, mm -hmm. it's like rain runoff, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to think back in those mm -hmm. days. Yes, it's waste, yeah. Right, it was not so much wastewater like that I think of sewage. No. You know, mm -hmm. It's more like runoff that we collect and the, the community would use, right? Mm -hmm. Is that what but like, that's not really my real house. What does that mean? Um, but, so, so, did she slobber? Yes. <laughs> so warning, whoever cuts her next. Uh, okay. Oh, she heard about the bread. You <laughs> guys like bread. All right, sit down over there. Um, but, uh, you know, there, there's a, a lot. My, my head isn't um, really thinking in a very linear fashion other than um, I, I find in my, my own practice and in my daily life um, that uh, when I wake up, I really do. The thing that helps me most is like re recollecting um, my, like what it, what, like the three refuges, like the yeah. Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, yeah. and, um, you know, kind of the Eightfold Path and the um, Four Noble Truths, and just saying, you know, okay, what's important today, and uh, I mean, honestly, that's a lot of joy. There's a lot of joy there, and um, it has, as we know, conditioned codependent arising, like that conditions the mind in a helpful way. I'm, I'm more likely to create less of my own suffering. And uh, there's just a level of contentment and ease that permeates some of my experience, but it's very easy to lose that throughout the day but it's also very easy to retain it throughout the day. Um, sure. So recollecting, um, you know, all of these things, like uh, mindfulness of the sense gates happening there. And that's what I kept thinking of the wastewater pool. Is, um, it's, not, it's not the same thing. He was making a different metaphor, but it's kind of like, do I have mindfulness of the sense gates? And how and and if I have that, there is a welling up of joy and ease and tranquility. And right speech is so much easier. And, and right intention, it's 
it's just much more clearer to see, of course, because the mind is less agitated, right? And yeah. More contained, and, and there's a little dog right here. <laughs> um, but uh, I was sitting there out in the lobby, you know, I, I wasn't thinking of this sutta, but it's just it's so nice. It's just such, such a pleasant feeling for the mind to settle. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so when you were talking in the beginning of class about through our own efforts, um, it, it's a, you know, and it is funny, right? So, I mean, it, it is so obvious in, I'll say in my experience, it's so obvious how the truth rolls out. It's so simple, and it can be very difficult because of the society that we live in and move in. It's so many temptations. You know, I forget where I was. Just like a, I don't know, maybe a, I forget where I was. Maybe Philadelphia. Um, yeah, but um, it's just. It's like, you know, the, the world of samsara, there are so many pleasures, you know, available, over-availability, I would say. There's an over-availability right now. Um, so it just requires a recollection of the joy of release, I think, is very helpful. Um, and rather than, like you talked about, like renunciation, it's no, the joy of release um, is much more um, forward leading for me. So that's what I got. Thank you, more. Happy okay. belated birthday. Glad you already joined us today. Good morning, Julia. Morning, John. Thank you for the teaching. Pleasure. Um, it's nice to meet you both. Welcome back. Uh, I don't have anything to add. Thank you. Thank you. Dama teacher Ron. Good morning, John. Good morning. Happy birthday again. Thank you. Keep it coming. Every class. <laughs> Happy last birthday. <laughs> um, I was thinking of the, the early time here in, in the Sangha for me um, that, yeah, that was definitely a, uh, a cesspool experience. <laughs> <laughs> um, that I was still having my inlet blocked. I was so, so full of what I thought were, you know, <clears throat> was my knowledge of, of life and, yeah. and, and even of the Dharma. <clears throat> and it, it wasn't until I really let, um, opened up to letting in, uh, the Dharma, as you've been teaching it, that uh, we finally got some scouring out of those, you know, those old, old, stagnant ideas. Yeah, uh, nice to be rid of them, isn't it? Yeah, mm -hmm. and and yes, it it uh, it requires the, a certain um, joyfulness in 
and, and pleasure in, in practicing that. Yeah. That um, you can, you can it, it's much easier to let go of that old stuff. If, you, if you're seeing your, your efforts uh, bear fruit. Yeah. Um, yeah. And nowadays, um, just this morning, I was, you know, got up, took a shower, got dressed, made my tea, fed the cats. <clears throat> and I kind of thought to myself, I should really be bored right now. <laughs> I've been doing this for years and years. And that wasn't happening. There was this wonderful contentment there that yeah. this is what I do right now. Yeah. And it's all good. Um, and yeah, I'm looking forward to, to, to the day and, and whatever it brings. And sometimes it brings, you know, a whole lot of stuff that, that is, is difficult to deal with and, and sometimes it just goes smoothly. So, uh, but the contentment is 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 really wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And it's just that way, isn't it? Yeah, so, I mean, so boredom is something that we're we train ourselves to really hate. <laughs> and boredom is the immediate need for distraction, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And the opposite of that would be contentment. Mm -hmm. I don't need any, I don't need this moment to be any more than it is. And why is that? Because I'm present for it. That's the only difference. If we really are fully present in this moment, this moment is all of our lives and it's always fulfilling. And you often hear me say, if you want to know what eternity is, it's right here, right now. Where else would it be? And again, think about that. Eternity isn't accumula accumulation of years. It's being present for this moment. And it's, this is the only moment that you can be alive until you take another breath and then there's another moment. One breath at the beginning, one breath at the end. And what are we going to do with the rest of the breaths? You know, they're going to be full of contentment or full of boredom and seeking distraction all the time. The next thing, we got to do the next thing. The next, what I can tell you, what I say? The next tick box. <laughs> understand all that anti-social media. Thank you, Rob. Dollar Teacher Mary, good to see you this morning. Good to be here. Um, good to see you. Happy birthday. Thank you. <laughs> I, you know, I, I misspoke. I made myself 58. This is my 28th 40th birthday. Oh. <laughs> I saw that math, but I chose not to. My practice is going really well. Um, I think, um, you know, the practice of repetition, ritual plays a part in that, habits play a part in that. Um, the habit of feeding your cat being an integrated part of sitting and, and, and you know, sitting every morning. Like, yeah. those aren't separate things. Those are, are that's living. Yes. Right? And so integrating it, um, all on the path is what provides the, the clarity in each moment that I'm living that yes, uh, integrated life. Um, and I think that's 
very empowering and and um, helps you build confidence about the practice. Um, I think a sutta like this, like others, also speaks to, and I think I've heard people say it today, the accountability piece, and not necessarily on a linear path, that wasn't necessarily a linear path laid out, but to be able to check in and know where you are, like we teach that to our children to try and you know, check in with where their emotions are, where they're feeling them in their mm. bodies or whatever. And this sutta reminded me that you're sort of checking in, where am I at? Because maybe I've been here or maybe on all cylinders, but over here, um, something tripped me up, right? Something yeah. caused me to not be as well concentrated or whatever. So it's accountability in a really good way to um, get back on the path, to recognize, to reflect and recognize what kicked you off or what interrupted your concentration. What were those things? So you can be more cognizant of them in the future. And while it does involve, like I'll never be one of the people in the class who can rattle off the million names of the suttas. Right, it, but I, 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 un, I understand that they meet you where you are, as we also heard a lot of people say today, you hear what you need to hear uh, on any given day, depending on where you are in this sutta that, you know, you just read to us. And so I think it can be really um, positive to become more and more aware of the things that distract you or interrupt your concentration or took you in another direction, reflect on that, and then continue the practice, continue, um, you know, the sit twice a day. But, you know, for me, I committed to being better prepared for class, you know, so yeah. reading yeah. and then coming to class um, and and then that reflection, that paying attention to where am I and how much closer am I to the overflow of wisdom and then recognizing, wow, I think I just overflowed with wisdom in that moment, right? <laughs> and being joyful about it, but then, you know, coming back to rest um, in equilibrium as opposed to, you know, being excited that you had a moment of wisdom. Yeah. Um, it's not an agitated state anymore. It's just a, it's a state of contentment yeah, right. and understanding. Right? And it's a flowing and understanding that, you know, kind of like the ocean, the ocean has different mm -hmm. movement, right? Or a lake can be really calm. And then, yeah. you know, oceans today are very agitated probably, yeah. right? Going up and down the seaboard, but it's still just the ocean. Yeah. So, anyway, thank you. Just wonderful insights and very practical. You know, again, we're not looking for something that's magical or mystical. Mm -hmm. we're, we're just trying to understand what it means to be a human being right now without being distracted by the inherent suffering that comes with a human life. We all have it. Thank you, Mary. Oh, I teach you, David. I could pull you away from birdie. <laughs> the present moment. There are no requirements of taking a path.
positive or a negative experience. Yeah. And that's right view. And that's what this practice is for. Yeah. So you can be present for this moment and not have a requirement. There's no requirements for this moment. And it doesn't mean that you can't have joy in this moment or tragedy in this moment, but you're not taking it personal. Okay. And that's that bit of insight is where true joyfulness comes from. Okay. That's the propulsion of your practice. Yeah. Thank you. Well said again. Yeah, it's just the, the pure joy of understanding what it means to be present for this moment without the need for this moment to be any different than it is. And there's a bit of insanity to think that this moment should be different, isn't it? Because it can't be if here it is. You know, it's just that way. Radical acceptance. We learn the difference between approval acceptance. The Dhamma helps us unravel that thing that most of us think has to be together in order for me to accept something. I must first approve of it. It doesn't work. We accept it because it's what's occurring. And if it's an unpleasant moment, take a breath. Everything is impermanent. It's just a wonderful suit. I love the metaphors in it uh, and the way it points to we should be joyfully engaged. Uh, Rachel mentioned discipline. Well, discipline is the root of the word disciple, isn't it? Disciple sounds like it's almost too heavy a word, but we are disciples of the Dhamma. You know, we're following a specific discipline. And the more we integrate that eightfold path as the framework and guidance for our moment by moment life, the more we will be joyfully engaged with that eightfold path. Um, any other questions or comments before we finish? More, please. I just want to also point out, Mary, you know, where you said that, um, you know, being more prepared for class. So I, I have noticed, um, like, in the in the past in my life, you know, I tend to just, um, you know, kind of go too quickly, or I don't really absorb or reflect, and I have, you know, strong kind of greed. Um, tendencies like I want more of this and that and this is going to be the answer and um, so just like, recently I've been um, you know, even I knew I was coming this morning I don't <laughs> I don't have a habit of really really reading the suttas you know when the infrequent times that I come before but um I really I've gotten into a really good habit of well, it's a wholesome habit. It's not a good habit. It's a wholesome habit of of treating every as much. I can't say that I do it one hundred percent of the time, but like treating what I do with more care and respect, mm -hmm. and taking in just enough and letting that and like really hearing it. So if it's a conversation or if it's a a meal or whatever is is occurring, and just being giving um, enough time to listen, to reflect, to be with before moving on to the next thing. And I think just the challenge, you know, it, again, in this environment where that is not the norm, it's like, you know, if, you're, mm -hmm. if you happen to watch Netflix, you know, it's a rolling Netflix. 
whatever it is, you know, it's a rolling, I listen to podcasts, I'm in the car, and it's a rolling podcast, you know, so um, I, it's just, you know, kind of stopping some of that, and not allowing something else to come in, until I have sat with what is the most important. Thanks for yeah. For most people, as they um, really deepen and integrate this practice, uh, and we talk about it here often, that our lives become simpler because we do cut out a lot of extraneous stuff that is just really just distraction, uh, and we do take joy in just being present for this moment with nothing going on. You know, imagine that just being here. <laughs> We'll finish with metta. Uh, these are the Buddha's words on metta describing the qualities of an awakened human being. If we could just take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath and let that mindfulness of your breath unite your mind and your body. And the Buddha's words on metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what is done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. They are able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied. They remain unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways. They are peaceful and wise and calm and skillful not proud or demanding in nature. They do not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. They are always mindful that all beings be at ease, whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born. They are always mindful to not deceive another or despise any being in any state. They abandon anger and ill will with ease, never wishing harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart, the wise disciple cherishes all living beings. They radiate kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, they maintain refined mindfulness. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, they abandon ignorance of four noble truths. Having completed the path, they are not born again into this world. Thank you all for wonderful class this morning. Thank you. Thank you for listening. 
I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.